Good morning. I, uh, I meant to bring the spikes that Josh was talking about last week so I could show you guys. It's about a foot long and maybe a half inch diameter at its widest point. Forgot though. If you didn't see last week's message, you got to listen to it. It was a great sermon. But uh, you know, the worst part about that experience was not the pain in my finger. Um, it, was, it was actually only about the size of a small nail, but um, it, it was large enough where I, I couldn't take it out on my own. So I'm, I'm going to the ER and um, the worst part of the whole experience was the anxiety of what was going to happen when I go up to that triage nurse and she asked me why I was there. So it was like the fourth visit to the ER in my life and the first three were, I should have been there. Like, you know, I burnt myself. I, you know, lost 30 pounds over two months. Uh, I had, my face was going numb once, you know, so they rushed me right back, right? But th- this is like, you know, yeah, how can I help you? I have a splinter I need your help with. And I just, you know, it's like, what's she going to do? Uh, yeah, uh, we got about a big baby in here. It looks to be about his mid-40s. Um, yeah, can you send someone out to help? <laughs> that didn't happen, thankfully. She saw it, and she's like, that's not a splinter. That's a nail. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 today. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 14. Josh preached a sermon last week, yesterday, uh, last week, and he called it Ridiculous Grace. And we're going to continue that theme of grace um, today. Um, I've titled this sermon, The Symphony of God's Grace. The Symphony of God's Grace. So let's read this now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to, uni- to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for um, the praise that the Apostle Paul puts before us. And I pray that your word would speak to us today. Help us to have the same heart of praise that the Apostle Paul has here towards all that you've done in our salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I'm always intrigued about how Pastor John is able to um, bring music illustrations into his sermons. His breadth and interest in music is very, very wide. Me, on the other hand, I don't have that kind of breadth. My musical tastes are very myopic. Um, Outside of just what, you know, singing hymns and the worship songs we sing in Sunday morning, um, I pretty much just have a deep love of classical music. And uh, 
while, while I was a young kid, uh, my friends would be jamming out to ACDC, Boys to Men, Britney Spears, all of those artists. I would be jamming out to Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, Schubert, um, and, they, and they made fun of me a lot, for sure. Tchaikovsky's my favorite composer. Um, his Fifth Symphony is my favorite symphony of all the classical works that are out there. And uh, the Omaha Symphony recently played this. It was a couple years ago, and my family and I had the privilege to attend. And uh, I spared no expense for this night. Uh, we got in our best clothes. We went out to a real fancy dinner, bought the best seats in the house. Nothing was going to get in the way of me enjoying what I saw as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see my favorite symphony live. And so the other goal I had, too, is to try to infuse some bit of culture into my children. Um, and so the symphony begins to play. There's this soft clarinet that comes in and introduces the main theme of the night. Dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, dun. It's beautiful. And there's these various solos that come about by the instruments as the piece develops. There's actually one really famous one for the French horn. It goes, just puts you in this nice, somber mood. But as the symphony develops, there, there, there starts to happen what seems like a struggle between all these instruments to tell the story. And, and the struggle eventually becomes a battle. And there's this one very, very important part, and just it's the best part of the whole thing. It's in the middle of the fourth movement. This battle becomes a war, and the timpani player goes back there. He starts laying down this drum beat that sounds like a war beat. And the trumpets come out with their powerful and forceful tone that they can give. And the strings answer. And then the trumpets. And what ensues after that is just a fury and chaos as this just develops. And then eventually the trumpets come in with this very strong and powerful descant that gets briefly answered by the horn sections. And then the trumpets come back in and they finish it with finality and the whole entire symphony finally ends with the big thump, 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 thump. And you're like, wait a sec, what just happened? There was no resolution. Is that really the end? And then the brilliance of it all just settles into your mind. And you jump up out of your seat. And you're, you're clapping. <sighs> you're just excited as I'll get out. And it was at that point I turned to my children. And I said, wasn't that incredible? And of course, I've got perfect children. And so they looked at me and they're like, Dad, this was the best experience of my life. Like, I, I am so grateful to you for how much you sacrificed to make this possible. Thank you so much. Of course, that's not what happened. See, there was this trumpet player that was sitting in the orchestra. It was the third of the three. It was th there was three, and two of them were only playing all night long. And see, my kids couldn't get over the fact that this guy sat there for the entire hour and only played for about 10 seconds at the end. And he was there because they needed volume, the triple forte that was there at the end that was so beautiful and so glorious. And they got no appreciation out of it because that was all they could see. I tried to get culture into them. But for me, all those individual parts of the symphony, the notes, the melodies, the counter melodies, the major and the minor keys, the dynamics, the varying tempos, they all added up to move my emotions to a full enjoyment of the whole piece. 
It was the appreciation of all those different parts and what felt like an onslaught of little joys that just increased my total joy over the whole thing. I have the same reaction when I meditate on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul, in my mind here, is playing the symphony of God's grace. He's playing the symphony of God's grace. It's one big, long, run-on sentence in the Greek, all 14 verses, and it's where Paul just goes on and on and prays for God for all that he has done in our salvation. One thing after another keeps building and amplifying our joy in salvation. It contains within it a series of blessings that God has done for us in salvation. We see how the Father, the Son, the Spirit have all individually participated in our salvation. We get to see what they did in eternity past and what they're doing in the present and what they're going to do in eternity future. We get to see, um, <coughs> excuse me, we get to see God's plan and purpose for salvation. We get to see his protection of our salvation. And all of this comes to us in these various instruments of God's grace and God's blessings to us. Three times it culminates with the distinct phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace. And after meditating on this passage of Scripture, your heart can't help but just jump out of your chest in praise to your Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can exclaim the words that Paul starts with in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I have one goal this morning. I have one goal. And that is to simply chew on the multiple blessings of God's grace in this passage such that you can get to the end of the hour or 30 minutes and you can say to the praise of his glorious grace, blessed be the God and Father of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my one goal, is to fire up your heart. Now to help that, we're going to have a little audience participation today. All right, I'm going to have a couple of moments where I'm going to ask you to applaud for God. Not me, for God. All right? So you have to, you're going to practice that right now. All right? So just like if you were in the symphony and I was just jumping out of my chair, loving what I had heard because of all that I had experienced, we're going to jump up and we're going to praise God. We're going to clap and we're going to applaud for Him. And you're welcome to yell amen. You're welcome to cheer. You're welcome to do whatever your heart leads you to do. Are you guys ready to practice? Get ready. All right. There we go. All right. I knew Craig had my back. A lot of others of you are doing awesome, too. All of you expressive folks in the crowd are like, this is going to be awesome. And then some of the rest of you are looking at your spouse going, is he allowed to do that? What is this heresy? Last time John lets him preach. All right. So what does Paul start with? He starts the music of this symphony with the phrase, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's a couple of things to notice here. Has blessed. That's in the past tense. And that means that this has already been done. We are blessed with these blessings now. We live in the reality of these blessings today in every moment of our life. He also says every spiritual blessing is given to us. And that tells us that nothing was left out. God has not held back any blessings. He has given us the full blessing that he can give. And what have we been blessed with? Spiritual blessings, amen. 
we have been blessed with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. These are not physical, earthly blessings. We're not talking about temporal blessings here, things like money, intelligence, giftings. While those are blessings, they come and go. But they're not the focus here. Spiritual blessings are the things that transcend this mortal life. We have them now, and we're going to continue having them after we die and live with Jesus. That's what's in focus here. That is one of the most powerful realizations of this passage. We have been given now what we will have for all eternity. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places are blessings that are supernatural in nature. Things like God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that his joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, that you have peace and Jesus leaves you and peace that Jesus gives you. Those are spiritual blessings. Now in verse 4, we find that we were chosen by him to be holy and blameless. It starts with the phrase, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, there are varying views on this passage of Scripture. I'm not planning to dive into the deep end of the pool here with you today. If you want to dive into the deep end, I refer you to our distinctives where we talk about the sovereignty of God and salvation as a great reference point. But I will say that sometimes I think we get so caught up on our disagreements on this particular area of Scripture that we can miss the forest for the trees. This passage is showing us that God's work in salvation was planned even before the world was created. Simply put, he chose us to be in him. That is, to be part of his plan, his purpose, his protection, his salvation. The wonder in this passage to me is not that, um, is not that man would choose God. I mean, if you really think about it, who wouldn't choose God? There's all upside for us. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that we are so blind to our pride and arrogance, so trapped in our trespasses and sins, so spiritually dead, it just seems like a no-brainer decision. But for God to choose us? Now, there's a step down. A God who had to humble himself to make himself as a man so that he could redeem and reconcile mankind. The mankind that he created that this choice was done before the foundation of the world stresses that this decision on God's part had no consideration to the actions of any human. See, God knew that sin would happen before he created the world, and he had already made the plans to remedy, to remedy the consequences of sin. And if we stop and think about this for a bit, it continues to underline the primary point here. God created the world and us to fulfill the eternal purposes of God. And what that purpose is, is revealed to us in part, but there's still a lot of God's plan that we cannot know, and it requires us to trust Him. But this should provide us great comfort, regardless of our life circumstances. Paul says later in chapter 2, verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And even when we're mistreated, even when our bodies fail, we have to keep at the forefront of our suffering that God has created the plan for our life before the foundation of the world to be to the praise of His glory. 
He knew how others' sin would impact you. He knew how your sin would impact others. He knew the sicknesses that you or your loved ones were going to suffer. He knew the sorrow that you would feel in this life. And despite all of this, He created a plan before the foundation of the world to save you so that you would be holy and blameless before Him to the praise of His glorious grace. And that's the primary purpose of God's choosing us to make us holy and blameless. Romans 8, 29 and 30, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those to whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. All of the action in salvation is on God's part. It's for His purposes and it was to fix the thing that sin destroyed. All of the action is on God's part to conform us to the image of His Son. His goal is to take us out of the world so that we would be different within the world. And that's what it means to be holy, to be separated unto something, or that is to be separated unto God. And I pray this a lot in my prayers. God, help me to be conformed to Your image. Help me to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God has determined, though, that this is going to happen for me before the foundation of the world. And that blesses my soul. To be blameless is another one of God's purposes in this choosing. To be blameless is the idea of making us acceptable for sacrifice. It takes the whole of our being and it makes us acceptable to the Lord. Everything about us, our skills, talents, intellect, money, ideas, emotions, passions, actions, when done in the righteousness of Christ, are all made blameless such that they can be offered to God as an acceptable sacrifice. Before salvation, the best of our efforts were as filthy rags before God. After salvation, these same efforts become acceptable sacrifices because of the work of God's Son. Being holy and without blame is a spiritual blessing that God has bestowed on all of us, and it is a blessing that is more than we can express in words. In verse 5, he says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Predestined. What does that mean? Well, simply put, it, it means to determine in advance by divine will. Determine in advance by divine will. What is it that He has determined in advance to do? To make us adopted children. Now there's something to rejoice over, amen? Amen. Now, God did not act in some haphazard way when sin happened. There was no cosmic TikTok fails video that was created where the background of the song, oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. That's, that's not how this played out. The young people laughed. The old people are like, huh? <laughs> He didn't have to adjust his plan for sin. He, he didn't have to deliberate for days, months, or years on how to fix the problem. He had determined to do exactly as he did in our salvation before the foundation of the world. He looked into your dead soul that was trapped in sin, and he said, be alive. Have this heart of flesh. Come alive. Colossians 1, 13-14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Bible's teaching on this is deep. We have been given the spiritual blessing of being adopted as sons of God, being adopted into his family, being treated as one of his sons. We're given all the rights and privileges of his son. This is a permanent action, and it was understood by the readers of Paul's day when he used that language that it couldn't be taken away. You couldn't unadopt a child. And why did God determine in advance to make us his adopted children? Well, it says there it was according to the good pleasure of his will. It's kind of like when a man determines there goes and buys his wife a gift for no apparent reason, but was just simply the purpose of making clear that he loves her. God intentionally planned to do this with a purpose to show us that he really wanted us to be adopted into his family. The most ugly, unwanted, worthless child has been adopted, and we all get the rights and privileges of the son. We will all be like him as a son is like his father. We get to be the object of his love as a father loves his son. We will rule with him. We will get to see him as he truly is, and we will get to know him fully. And moving on to verse 6, it answers the question again of why did God do all this? It was to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. God wanted to display us as a trophy of His grace. God wanted to display us as a trophy to His glory. How's that not a blessing? To be displayed as a trophy of God's grace. To that, we can cheer and applaud You can keep standing up. They were over there standing up. We got to we got to give them get your excitement in there. Verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. And he uses that word redemption there. Now to redeem something is to gain possession of something by payment. That's what it means. To gain possession of something by payment. Now, back in the day, um, we don't, I don't think layaway counters exist anymore, but back in the day they did, right? And you would go up to your friend and you're like, hey, I'm going to redeem my item from layaway today. Or perhaps a more modern usage of this is we're going to redeem a coupon. We slide a piece of paper over the counter or we enter the code on the website that we shamelessly Googled from another website um, in order to uh, basically claim the obligation of that vendor to provide us a discount. That's what it means to redeem. There's two parts to this word redeem. The first part is there's a thing that is purchased, and the second part is the cost of that purchase. The thing that is purchased and the cost of that purchase. And so let's start with what is purchased for us in salvation. What is purchased for us? Our freedom. Our freedom. Our freedom from sin through the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's what's purchased for us. Anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, as God's Word tells us. And often sin is something that entraps us. It's something that we find ourselves doing repeatedly. We don't want to, but we do. But yet the spiritual blessing that we have been given from heaven is freedom from that sin. We have been given freedom from its penalty and the death that it brings in our life. We've been given freedom from its, um, from its uh, power, the death grip 
that it has on us in our life. And we've been given freedom from its presence ultimately when we die and are released from this body. We have been freed from the law and the demands that the law places on us. We have been freed from serving Satan. That's what's been purchased for us. Now, what was the cost of that freedom? What did that freedom cost? Well, we were freed by Jesus' blood. This redemption cost Jesus his life. Jesus had to hand over his life in order to redeem us from our trespasses and sin. Our sin had to be dealt with righteously according to the law, and it was such that Jesus, it was necessary for Jesus to shed his blood. It was his blood that made the forgiveness of our trespasses possible. It was his blood that cleansed us from all unrighteousness. It was his blood that released us from the bondage of sin. And this was all done according to the riches of his grace. Ask yourself, in what way are God's riches limited? In what way are God's riches limited? In no way. In no way at all. And you might ask, is there anything that can cause us to be brought back into the bondage of sin? To which I would reply, is there anything that can exceed the value of Christ's blood? No, nothing can. Titus chapter 2, 11-14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Not only is this grace unlimited, but he lavishes it on us. He lavishes it on us. He freely pours out His grace on us in ways that we cannot comprehend. You can't out God's grace is the point. It is limitless, unbounded, and freely given to you. It is profusely, overwhelmingly, and, under, and abundantly poured out on us. We sang the hymn earlier, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Thank you to the band for that. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, it says. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see His face. Will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. You can't outsin God's grace. You can't outsin God's grace. The other thing he lavishes on us is wisdom and insight. See, what I love about this is that God doesn't just stop at fixing the problem. 
His goal is for us to have full access to the kingdom. And so what does he do? He lavishes on us wisdom and insight. To give us wisdom is to enable us to live rightly. To give us insight is to enable us to understand his purposes. And God lavishes these on us for our blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Phil was talking about this in Sunday school, this mystery. And this word mystery here, what does it mean? It's, it's referring to something that was unknown. This mystery is not referring to something that's hard to understand or, or, or difficult to get through, but it is something that was previously unknown that is now made known to us. That's what it means when you see the word mystery. Now, that doesn't mean that God has made everything known to us, but the passage is showing us that he has made a very specific thing known to us. We have to ask the question, what mystery has he made known to us? And it says right there in the passage, his will his purpose that he set forth in Christ. Now, Paul is looking forward here. He's looking forward to something, but it is a future event that has been revealed to us now. That's the key. And, what, and, and he's looking forward to this event when he says the fullness of time has come. We have to, what, is that, what happens then in the fullness of time? As it says right there, all things unite in him, things in heaven and things on earth. All things unite in Christ. All things sum up to Christ, the head of the church. Just as Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All right, now, all things don't always add up. They don't always make sense. I oftentimes feel baffled about what God is trying to do in my life. Why, why would he allow this thing to happen? Why would he allow his church to be harmed? Why would he allow this pain to be experienced by my friend? Why would he allow that man to blaspheme his name? God's plan can oftentimes seem held back. It's as if the kingdom is taking one step forward and two steps back at times. But then I read verses like this, and it gives me such great confidence. See, no matter what may be happening today, I am blessed to know by the glorious grace of God that all things will ultimately sum up in Christ. I have hope knowing that all things are heading in a direction where Christ rules and all worship Him. What a blessing it is that God would reveal this to us. That's the blessing. I'm confident because God said it will happen that in Christ all things are going to be restored to the way it was originally intended, and it will culminate in all of us worshiping and serving Him for His glory. And if that wasn't blessing enough, I'm part of this plan. You are part of this plan. A plan that God laid out before He laid the foundations of the world. What a blessing it is that we can hope in this glorious truth. And verse 11, he says, In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, in Christ, we inherit every promise God ever made. 
predestined, again, to serve a purpose that fits His will, which is ultimately to the praise of His glory. Our marriage may seem a shambles. Our life aimless. Our kids might be a hot mess. We're failures as a mother and a father. Our jobs are pointless. Our hearts broken. Our goals unachievable. Our understanding confused. Our sin may seem unconquerable. Our lives destroyed, devoid of hope. Our body so broken that normal life is not possible. Our resources are limited. We're just surviving. Our hopes destroyed, betrayed by friends, attacked and not loved, abused by those that should have loved us, mocked and scorned. But in the sorrow of all of that, We can stand knowing that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And one of those blessings is to have inherited a salvation that will save us from all of our sin and all of our sorrows, a salvation that cannot be taken away. Peter describes this inheritance as that which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You have inherited peace that surpasses all understanding, wisdom and understanding, the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your heart have been enlightened. You were made to the praise of His glory, given a faith to believe, made alive by Christ, given a great love that surpasses understanding. You were given a purpose in this life, whereas once you were far off and at war with Christ, you are now united with Christ and brought near to Him. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, part of the church of Christ. You have boldness and access to approach God through Christ. You have fellowship with God. You are strengthened in your inner man. And that is only a sampling of what Paul says before he gets to the end of Ephesians chapter 3. Yes, let's praise the Son. What blessings have we been given? And Paul points out again in verse 12 that this was all that we might be to the praise of His glory. Verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, we believed in Him. What a blessing it is to have God's word with us. See, what does the Bible tell us about the Word of God and what did the Spirit do with the Word of God? He inspired Scripture. It was God-breathed, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. Peter tells us that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has given us His Word. This is directly from Him. Scripture is the power of God to salvation. It's the Word of God. It's the truth of God. Scripture divides our soul. It transforms our heart. Scripture is profitable for teaching us, for reproving us, for correcting us, training us to be righteous. Scripture is the good news that leads us to salvation. Without the Word of God in our hands, we would not have life. We would not have truth. We would not have wisdom and understanding. This is the blessing of Scripture. The Spirit doesn't stop there. When we believed in Christ, we were then sealed with the Spirit, Paul says here in Ephesians 1. Sealing signifies a finished transaction. It signifies that He owns us, 2 Corinthians 1.22, and, and who also has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In this we have confidence that we are known by the Almighty God 
sealing of the Spirit signifies that He will protect us and secure us. We're ensured that we will enter the kingdom by the power of God. Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And this sealing signifies that we're authentically His. Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have a spiritual blessing of the Spirit living within us today. Verse 14, the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I can assure you, when you see the word guarantee in Scripture, you can take it to the bank. That word guarantee there is often translated in other translations as earnest. And it is referring, it's the best thing that we can understand that too is the earnest deposit that you pay when you want to buy a house. And that idea of the earnest deposit is as you as a buyer are saying, there is more to come. I intend to follow through with this purchase contract that I have signed. In fact, if you don't sign it, you lose your earnest deposit. And so in the same way, the Spirit is the earnest deposit of the promise that God has made to redeem us and to provide this inheritance. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will finish the work. That is, until this final purchase is completed, and that's when we are glorified. When we pass from this life into the next, we will be with the Lord. And the Spirit is the guarantee that we will be with the Lord. He will hold you fast, as the hymn says that we sing. John 10, 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It is quite unthinkable that God would send His Son to die on the cross for our sins and then not carry through that salvation. So unthinkable, in fact, that He gave us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit is the foretaste of glory divine, as Fanny Crosby, the hymn writer, put it. Or as Paul in Romans 8.23 said, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are spiritually blessed to have eternal security to the praise of His glorious grace. This is your last chance to applaud God for what He's done in your salvation. Amen. Here we have it. The symphony of God's grace. When you allow yourself to meditate on the beautiful truths in each verse, and you allow the reality of each of these spiritual blessings to sink into your heart, you just can't help but stop in awe, wonder, and amazement at all God has done. And to have your heart sing praises to the Holy One, our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he did this to the praise of his glorious grace. And praise we shall give both now and for eternity. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Your riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, 
and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let me pray. Father, as I prayed at the beginning, I pray again now. May your spirit help our hearts sing with rejoicing as all that you have done for us in our salvation. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you so much for his resurrection from the grave that we might live a new life of righteousness that is not of our own, but is of his. We thank you that we are able to live new lives where it is not us that lives anymore, but it is Christ living through us. We thank you that you have given us the spirit to empower us to do that which you've called us to do. God, I pray that this would be a reality in every soul that is in this room today, every soul that is listening online. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.